let's jump into uh, the sermon that we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a paper Bible, if you want to get that out, we are going to be in the book of Philippians. So if you have a paper Bible, um, the table of contents is, uh, is in the beginning of your Bible. Feel free to look at that to find where Philippians is. Um, if you want to live adventurously and try to find it on your own, it's on the right side of your Bible, about two-thirds of the way through the right side of your Bible. It's a really short book. It's about four chapters long. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, um, you can... Open the YouVersion Bible app, and then in the bottom right-hand corner, there's an, an icon that says events. If you tap that icon, or no, more, and then you go to events, you'll see a bunch of things populate. If you just tap Bethel Youth and then save that event, it is all the sermon notes that we are going to be talking through today. Everything that's on the screen um, will be in that app, as well as like the small group questions. And um, the cool thing about the YouVersion app is you can... Um, tap on a specific point in the sermon and you can add notes to that specific point. So if there's something that stands out to you or maybe there's a question that you have and you want to ask your small group leader, you can write that down in there and ask them uh, in your small groups. And so we encourage you to use um, the YouVersion app or your paper Bible. Um, and the reason that we encourage people to do that is um, we want you to read along with us and we want you to also read and make sure that what we our teaching is correct um, because we we do our absolute best to sing songs that are biblically um, accurate and they communicate clearly the truth of the gospel. We also want to preach sermons and we want to unpack the things within the text that um, are what's actually there. We want to keep things in context, making sure that what we're saying is true. And part of um, how you can be a part of that is read along with us and also read the text and read the resources that we give to you so that you can double check to make sure that what we are saying is true and accurate and correct. We do our best to do that, but we just want to make sure that you um, read as well. And so I want to give you a brief background. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you've known that we have moved on from the Gospel of Mark, and we have started a short five-week series um, on the topic of prayer. And prayer is an interesting topic. You don't have to be a Christian to potentially know what prayer is. Most um, religions throughout the world um, have some, some form of prayer. Um, the word prayer is typically within their belief system and the context of what they believe. And so we wanted to uncover and unpack of what is prayer for the life of a Christian and um, what does it look like? Are there different types of prayers? And so that's really what we're doing. Um, the first week, we kind of just wanted to lay a foundation of what prayer is. Um, and so we looked at a prayer that is, is actually pretty famous. Most people who aren't even Christians have heard of what is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter chapter 6, um, verses 9 through 13, and um, we looked at um, how, and, and this, this passage is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and what, what Jesus is doing is he's laying a foundation, um, teaching his disciples what the kingdom of God is like, and how it is completely upside down, it is completely opposite of what the kingdom of this world is like. And so he was, in this specific passage, was teaching his disciples, like, this is how you should pray. Um, and really the main idea that we took away from that first Wednesday 
Wednesday was the, the kind of the foundation of prayer is the posture of your heart, not the elegance of your words, not how many words that you pray. Um, if you were here last week, you, um, you, might, you might remember that we talked through prayers of lament, and we looked at Psalm chapter 13, and uh, we, we looked at that, that chapter to give us this framework for how a Christian is to lament. Um, Christian lament has four specific elements. Um, the first element is, is the person, when they are presenting a prayer of lament, is they turn to God, they bring their complaint, they ask boldly for help, and they choose to trust. And so an important distinction that we made as well is lamenting is not just expressing your sorrow or grief. It, it is recognizing your pain, asking God for his help, and choosing to trust him. And so the end game and the end goal of lamenting is trust is to have a deeper trust in the sovereignty and the authority of God. But then also lamenting gives a voice to the sufferer. So if you um, want to check these sermons out, unfortunately the Foundation of Prayer sermon is not on our podcast because it did not record. But um, last week's sermon on the prayer of lament is on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google. If you just search for Bethel YTH um, in those different platforms, you'll be able to come across those and listen to anything that you miss. And so tonight we're going to continue to talk about prayer. And the type of prayer that we want to study tonight is prayers of petition. So the text that we're going to be rooted in tonight is uh, Philippians chapter 4. So as you're turning there, um, I'm going to give you a really brief context of the book of Philippians, why it was written, who it was written to, um, and the main kind of theme of Philippians. And so the church in the city of Philippi was the first church that, that the Apostle Paul started in Europe, and this was recorded in Acts chapter 16. And a history tells us, if you, if you Google the history of the city of Philippi, um, you will find that it is full of retired Roman soldiers um, as well as other Roman citizens. And in this city, there were, there were Roman citizens, but then there were also a lot of people who chose to follow Jesus. And so these Philippian Christians were experiencing persecution for their faith by these Romans. But the thing is, is they were being persecuted, but they were staying rooted and grounded and strong in their faith and who Jesus was. So this letter was written to this church because a man named, uh, I believe his name is Epaphroditus, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He came to give gifts to Paul. Paul was in, um, he was in uh, uh, Rome and he was, uh, he was in prison and he was, this guy came from the, the city of Philippi to give Paul gifts um, to show um, their support for him and to encourage him and just to show their love for him. And so he decided to take this moment. He's like, hey, Epaphroditus, what, since you're here, I'm going to write a letter in response to some of the things that are taking place in Philippi. So the central theme of the book of Philippians is our stories have living, um, our stories are living expressions of Jesus's story. So knowing Jesus is deeply personal and a transformative encounter. And if you want to learn more about the, the book of Philippians, I would encourage you to go to the Bible Project. Um, you can go to their YouTube channel. They have a, a bunch of really great resources, um, just breaking down a lot of things in the Bible. And they do it in a really visual way, and it's really engaging. 
And so um, the central theme and the context uh, of the passage we'll be studying tonight are like Paul encourages the, these Christians to give their emotions and their needs to God. And in turn, um, God will provide them with peace amid their persecution. So with all that being said, let's stand together. We are going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, and we're going to read it um, in the New International Version. And if you want a paper Bible and you don't have a paper Bible, um, by the doors that you walked in, there's a little table there. There's a couple Bibles that are there. If you want to take one home, feel free to do so. So Paul says this in his letter to the Philippians. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's a short passage, but I think there is a lot that we want to uncover here. So if you were to read this passage maybe a few times, maybe five or six times, a central theme that you will gather just simply by reading it is this, and I want you to, to write this down if you're taking notes or you can um, see it in the Version app. It's this, through prayer, God gives peace and joy in all circumstances. So we're going to talk about that. <clears throat> So here we have a group of, of people that have a lot of reasons as to why they might be anxious. And so the, the Apostle Paul, he recognizes um, their anxiousness and he addresses the tension in this portion of the letter that we just read. So Paul gets straight to the point and he addresses how to combat these feelings of anxiousness. So if uh, you go back to verse 4, Paul tells the church this. He says, rejoice. And then we have to ask the question, like, who are they to rejoice in? And so Paul says, he says to rejoice in the Lord. How often must they rejoice? He says to rejoice in the Lord always. And the repetition of Paul telling the, the, these, these Philippian Christians to rejoice is actually a Jewish like literary technique to emphasize the importance of what is being said. So when Paul repeats himself, he must mean that rejoicing is an imperative to life. It is a must. It is, an, it is a necessary thing for the Christian to do. And the theme of, of joy in the midst of trials is not just confined to this one passage. It's actually a theme all throughout the book of Philippians and is also a theme all throughout Scripture. So these people, they had lots of opportunities to complain and become bitter. They were being persecuted harshly for their faith in Christ. But Paul tells them, even in the midst of your persecution... They must rejoice because, verse 5 says, because the Lord is near. So he's saying, because the Lord is near, you don't need to be anxious about anything, is what verse 6 says. So here's a rhetorical question I want you to answer in your head, and I want you to blurt it out. I want you to think about this. How many of you want to be joyful when you're stressed out? 
How many of you want to be joyful when you're anxious? And I'm talking not just like, I want to be joyful, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling down, and so I want to be joyful. No, when you are mad and upset, joy usually isn't the first thing that comes out of your body language or in your your facial expressions or in your voice, right? When you're feeling anxious and stressed, joy is typically the last thing that you want to do. Stress and anxiety um, are well-known words in our society today. Anxiety doesn't have to be explained much. When I talk about that, you probably already have some mental pictures or some situations that you're facing or maybe situations that you know that the the people that you are are close to are facing. We don't need to explain it. I mean, if you're 12, you're 18, you're 50, you're 80 years old, we all experience different types of anxiousness, anxiety, and stress. Anxiety has especially been amplified over the past few years just due to the strain and stress of world events, being isolated, or feeling, or the feelings of uncertainty. And before I go any further, and you might be asking yourself, you're like, okay, it's another pastor talking about anxiety. Here he goes. But I just want to tell you this. Um, I want to give this disclaimer. Um, I am not a counselor. I am not a psychologist. Um, who I am is I'm, I'm just a pastor who loves people. I'm a, I'm a person who desires people to know who Jesus is. I want people to know the joy that can be found in knowing Jesus. I'm just a person who wants you to understand what Scripture says about who Jesus is, the hope and the peace that can come from only knowing him. And I want people to know what God says through his word and how we can use what he's showed us in his world, in his word, to deal with the troubles in life. So here's the deal. Scripture is very clear that there will be troubles and trials in life. Unfortunately, there's not this promise that says once you give your life to Jesus, once you repent of your sin, all of your troubles, all of your trials, all of the tribulation in this world and in your life will poof, go away. Unfortunately, that's not the answer. In fact, in John 16, it says that you will face trials and tribulations even after you surrender your life to Jesus. And when you surrender your life to Christ, there's an enemy that you are working against because now you represent Jesus. You represent hope to the world. And the difference is when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you repent of your sin, and you begin that union with him, here's the thing, when you face trials and tribulations, you are not alone. Because oftentimes when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling um, stressed out, oftentimes we feel like it's just us. But the thing is, is when you surrender your life to Jesus, you can know that you are not alone that God is with you, and I hope you also know that the people sitting around you are also with you, cheering you on, and are walking next to you. Um, so Paul says um, in, in this text that when you go to navigate life, when you go to navigate anxiety and stress, He says that when you give those things up to God, when you pray and when you petition with God, he says that God will fill you with peace that transcends all understanding. And he will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus is what verse 7 says. And it's easy for a person like myself to get up in front of you guys 
to preach a sermon and tell a person if there is anxiety or there's depression or there's stress in your life that you should just pray about it and that's it. It's easy for a person just to get up and say, well, if you just pray about it, if you have enough faith, then those things will go away. Unfortunately, that is not biblical. Unfortunately, um, that is not uh, rooted in scripture and it's false and it's actually harmful. Now, I do think praying for those things is necessary. Praying for the anxiousness in your life, the stress in your life, I believe that's actually commanded as the believer to do so because we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God who is able to heal anything. We don't have to read much into scripture. No matter where we open our Bibles, we, we read of people being healed of physical illnesses. We, we, we read stories of people that were once demon-possessed who are no longer demon-possessed. We serve a God who can heal brokenness, can raise the dead, and can give hope to the hopeless. Now, I also, I also want to say this as well. Um, I think seeking professional counsel can be a wise choice for an individual. God has uniquely gifted and skilled people to diagnose and help counsel people through difficulties and mental health struggles. Um, and it's not news to you, but some psychologists say that anxiety is the most prominent mental disorder that they see in their practices. And I want to tell you this too. If you choose to go to counseling, I want to tell you that it's not sinful. It doesn't reflect that you don't have faith in God, that you don't believe God could heal those things. Often the root of anxiousness is the question of, and maybe you deal with anxiousness, and maybe you would resonate with this, and maybe you say, Taylor, you're way far off. But I believe one of the roots of anxiousness is the question of, what if? The question is simple. But yet, it can be so detrimental and damaging. And one of the complex parts of feeling anxious is that it shows itself in so many different ways in your life. It can be as complicated as, what am I doing after high school? It can be as complicated as, how will I pay for college? It can be as complicated as, will my parents have enough money to pay the bills? It can be as complicated or as simple as depending on how you look at it of will I ever catch up in my classes? Will I ever have passing grades in my classes? It can be as complex as do my friends actually like me? Are my friends just faking that they like me but they're going to turn on me at any moment? Do I fit in? What if I don't make the team? What if I don't get casted for that part in the play? What if I don't get the part in the, in the choir um, or the band or whatever the case may be? The what if question can be huge. And these are just a few um, examples of everyday things that weigh us down and can cause feelings of anxiousness. And sometimes it goes even deeper than feeling anxious. And the question of what if can cause crippling anxiety. For the church Paul was writing to, their anxiety was rooted in their persecution as Christians and their pledging allegiance of, of, to King Jesus and not pledging their ultimate allegiance to Caesar. So what were they instructed to do with those feelings? So Paul instructs the Philippian Christians to, in the second half of verse 6, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
So you might be asking the, the question, um, I asked the question in prepping for this sermon, why are prayer and petition the, quote, anecdote for anxiety? And it seems that what Paul is saying is that the path to managing and hopefully experiencing freedom from anxiety begins with surrendering our anxiousness to God. And the surrender comes from prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Paul says. So what do prayer and petition mean? Prayer is a broad term to define communication with God, and and petition is a direct request to God to do something. So in the context of what we've covered in the past two weeks, prayer encompasses lament, praying for the well-being of others, and for yourself. But here's a critical critical clarifier. It's a tongue twister that I shared in week one of this series. And it's a quote from John Calvin about why we pray as believers. And it's this. Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may awaken themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises. In a word, that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect both for themselves and for others all good things. So what we can gather from what the Apostle Paul and what John Calvin are saying is that when you experience anxiousness and you take those things to God with prayer and petition, what you are doing is declaring to yourself that you will trust God no matter the outcome. That you will, with thankfulness, exercise your faith in the reality that God is sovereign and has all authority and can take away your feelings of anxiousness. But it is also faith in God no matter the outcome. No matter if God chooses to not take away that anxiousness. I don't have the answers to that question, but God may choose to take it away and he may not choose to take it away. It is our job to trust in the sovereignty of God. So Paul says, peace, which transcends all understanding, will come upon you when you do that. So what does the peace of God look like? What does the peace of God feel like? And and talking about the peace of God, I just realized that I was supposed to put a picture in my sermon notes, and I completely forgot to do that. But I think you'll you'll know um, what I'm talking about. But when you talk about the peace of God, um, it reminds me of, a, of an old meme that was really popular a few years ago. Um, have you guys ever seen the, the, the meme? It's like a cartoon. It says, this is fine. And it's this dog sitting at the table and there's just fire consuming them. Yes. Yes, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. And he's got like a cup of coffee on the table or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So when I think about, I, I'll get to Like, anyways, in a second. But when I think about peace, oftentimes I think the way that we view peace is is a lot like this this meme. Because the the irony of this, it depicts that there is is chaos around you. There are... um, there are things that are not ideal that are happening around you, but your mind is trying to convince you that everything's okay. Like, it's, it's fine. 
It's fine. This is fine. No matter what, I'll be fine. It doesn't matter if I'm failing all of my grades, like it'll, it, all my classes, like it'll, it'll be fine. You know, my, my parents are getting a divorce, like it's, it's fine. It's fine. It'll all be fine. <laughs> Two, glass half full. Two Christmases, whatever. <laughs> but we're thinking about all these things, and oftentimes what we can view peace is this is how we view it. Like all we have to do is, is have optimism. The peace of God, like on the surface, can, can seem like this meme, but at its core, the peace of God is not hopeful optimism. This is incredibly important for us to understand. The peace of God is not like this meme. It is not like looking at the world that, that the glass is, is half full or that everything's going to be fine. The peace of God is deeper than that and it's bigger than that. It's not just looking at your life, the situations in life. It's not just looking at the world and saying it's going to be fine. It's a deep trust in God's promises to believers. Let me show you. John 14, verse 27. It says, peace, this is Jesus talking. It says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is saying that the peace that he will fill you with is not like what you will receive here on this earth. It's, God's peace is it's taking refuge in the shadow of the Almighty God. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will, says, say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The peace of God looks like trusting in the promises of God. Psalm 100, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 115, you who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is there. He is their help and shield. So what we see that the psalmist and Paul and what Jesus are saying is that when you place your trust in God, who is faithful, a peace that does not make sense to us will bring you comfort. Even when the situation would typically cause you to freak out, what would happen is if we first went to God with our prayers and petitions and trusted his outcome. And I want to wrap up this portion by saying this. Going, I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. Going to therapy, getting counseling, or taking medication is not sinful and does not mean that you aren't trusting God. And as we look at this passage in Philippians, it seems as if I myself am personally slow to take these things to God in prayer in my personal life. And I don't, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when things are stressing me out and my wife Megan can attest to these things, usually the first thing I do is I come and I just word vomit. That's how I do it. I just come and I just verbally process everything that I'm feeling, every emotion that I'm feeling. And I, as I was writing the sermon, I was thinking to myself, Taylor, like what would happen if before you even went to Megan, before you verbally processed this with her, like what if you were to take this stress and this anxiousness to God? Like what would happen? Maybe this conversation would be completely different with her later. Maybe I would be less worked up because the peace of God maybe would just lift some of that weight off of me and say, Taylor, it's going to be okay because I'm in control. I don't know. It's just a question. 
Maybe you were here last week and maybe as you were writing this prayer of lament, maybe you just felt this weight off your shoulders and off your heart as you were putting to paper the things that were weighing you down, the things that were worrying you, the things that you're sad about, the things that were causing sorrow and grief. Maybe you felt kind of this release as you, as you wrote those things and gave those things to God. Maybe we need to reorder how we approach our anxiousness. First, bring our feelings and anxiety to God and then go from there. And it's important for us not just to go to God in a token way, but truly bring those things before him and to wait for his direction. And something I don't want us to do is I don't want us to leave tonight's gathering and think prayers of petition are for only you as an individual. I want us to remember back to week one, one of the series, um, or week one of this series, and recall what Jesus said to his disciples about prayer. He says, uh, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, I referenced it earlier. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And if you remember, Jesus is instructing his disciples to pray in such a way that acknowledges, acknowledges the sovereignty of God as well as submitting to his will here on earth. But then the second part of this prayer, the focus is shifted to the people around us. The language shifts and it talks about praying for the needs of others, forgiving the sins committed against us and protecting us from temptation. So what Jesus is doing is helping them focus on others in their prayers. So Jesus is teaching that your prayers are to encompass one another. Your prayers of petition are to be for others as well. And in um, other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers, he instructed them to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says to honor one another above yourselves, to live in harmony with one another, to build one another up. And Tim Mackey would say this from the Bible Project. He says, what the prayer is meant to do is to get your mind off of yourself and onto how God's kingdom can come by loving God and loving your neighbor. So this is how we're going to conclude this sermon tonight. I want us to take a moment, kind of like last Wednesday, we're going to take about, probably about five or six minutes. And what we're going to do is I want you to think about what might be causing feelings of anxiousness, worry, or fear. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what you're personally feeling, but I have a feeling you do. And I know for a fact that God does. And I want us to take a moment and I want us to give those feelings and emotions to God. A simple prayer of recognizing God's faithfulness, his sovereignty, his love for you, and telling God what you're feeling. Asking him to give you peace. Asking him to give um, his peace that he has promised to us. Praying that you will trust him no matter what. And also what I want you to do is I want you to do the same for another person. I want you to think about a person in your life that maybe you know um, are feeling um, anxious, they're feeling worried, they're feeling stressed, and I want you to pray the same thing for them. That God would meet them in their trouble and they would know that God is near to them 
and that he loves them. And so what we're going to do, how we're going to practically do this is um, I'm going to pray and then I want to kind of release you. You can do this a few different ways. Um, there we've put some papers um, up on these music stands with some pens. Um, and uh, I'm going to pray and then you guys can go to just a space in the room, um, find a quiet place and you can either write down that prayer of petition to God. Um, you can verbally uh, uh, pray that prayer to God. Um, you maybe you have a journal. You can write write it down in your journal. You can pray it like in your mind and in your heart. But what I want us to do is I want us to put this into practice. I want us to give those things to God. And so we've given you a couple different options for you to do that. Um, a couple important things is this isn't a time for you to sit next to your buddy and joke around and, and talk and, and be disruptive. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose is for you to be alone and to process what you're feeling, what you're stressed out about, and what, what you're anxious about. Because we know that the God of peace can fill you with his peace that, that transcends all understanding. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to do that. Jesus, we thank you for your peace. Jesus, we thank you that in the midst of our stress, in the midst of our anxiety, Lord, you are there, that you are near, that you tell us that your peace is near. God, you desire for us to make these requests known to you, to give these things that are weighing us down, the questions of what if that we're processing in our hearts and in our minds. God, I pray that as we give these things to you, that you would exchange this worry, that you would exchange this anxiousness with your peace. And God, even if you don't remove it completely, God, we still trust you and we know that your plan is good. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we'll take five minutes. Feel free to come grab a piece of paper, um, find a place um, in the room, and I want you to, um, to write out or pray these prayers of petition to God. And then I will um, come dismiss you in about five minutes. So let's quietly um, go to a place in the room.